today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growing both in grace and knowledge. I believe both of those are needful for us if we're going to stay on course. I've got to grow in grace. I've got to grow in knowledge in order that I might be firmly standing every time that the enemy comes, every time that the world presses in, every time that my own flesh is screaming out. No, I want to be standing because I'm established and growing in grace and knowledge. Whenever an actor is assigned a role in a film or play, they spend countless hours reading the script for their performance. If they were to simply gloss over their parts, it's needless to say that their performance would likely be less than impressive. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us the importance of continually growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. In our study, we learn that the best way to do this is by none other than diligently studying God's Word, the lampstand to our feet. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, To Be Found in Him, from the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that time. I'm looking forward to that time that death is completely done away with. Sin is now completely gone. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. The former things passed away. A little bit later in that same chapter, John continues to write verse nine. He says, and then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, come, and I'll I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, isn't it cool when we do weddings and all of a sudden that flare of the music comes on and whatever it might be and everybody turns around and here comes the bride in all of her beauty and all of her eloquence. You know what? That's you and I. That's you and I. The bride coming. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to that time. He says, verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Down in verse 22, he says, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city had no need for the sun or for the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. 
And then over in chapter 22, he begins or continues on in verse one. He says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be written on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. There'll be no need for lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Verse seven, behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You know what? You and I need to be a people that are looking for and hastening toward the day of the Lord. That's why we need to be the kind of people. We need to be those who, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. All that Peter tells us here as we go back to 2 Peter. This this is a reality, this whole idea, this understanding that there is a heaven, that there is going to be a new earth and the new heavens, the the stars, all that we see is all going to be remade again. This is the very thing that, 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 again, encourages or inspires the poet's pen, the songwriter's pen, inspires the artist, inspires those with any kind of creative forces because, again, they look and they understand what the word of God says and in all their creative forces, they write, they, they sing about that day, that time, that event that's going to happen, the reality that's there. We look forward to these things. We ought to be looking forward to them with an anxious anticipation. Lord, any day I'm ready. Any day, Lord, any day. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, even today. Amen? Amen. Peter goes on in verse 14. He says, therefore... Because of that, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him, to be found by him, to be found by him in peace and without spot and blemish, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation." That whole idea of to be diligent. Peter uses that a little bit earlier when he says that you and I need to be diligent to make our our call and our election sure. And here he says we need to be diligent now to be found by him. And that word diligent means to, to, to use speed or to make every effort, to be prompt, to be earnest, to make an endeavor, to labor toward those things. In other words, It's the idea of the importance of it all for us, that we would be found in him. As a matter of fact, in that thought and that idea, that that phrase, to be found by him, could be just as easily, and I believe better translated, to be found in him. 
Same, same word, but with a different meaning. But to be found in him. I want to be found in him when he comes for me. Found in him. The writer Edward Mott, he understood this back in the early 1800s when he penned these words. He says, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We're to be found in him. And he says we're to be found in him in peace. And you know, of course, that's not the peace that the world gives. It's not a peace that's based even on the circumstances of our life. It's a peace that only comes from Christ. It's a peace, as we read in Philippians 4, 7, it's a peace that passes all understanding. As we read in Luke 2, 29, it's a peace that's according to his word. As we read in Romans 8, 6, it's a peace that comes from being spiritually minded. We read in Ephesians 2, 14, it's the peace that is Christ, Christ himself being our peace. And it is a peace that comes from the one whom Isaiah declares is the very prince of peace, to be found in him, to be found in peace. But he says also to be found in him without spot and blameless. And this is the work of our completed sanctification, that work that when we come to Christ, our sin, past, present, and future, are washed away because of what Christ did for us, did on our behalf. It's the work of that completed work that we are spotless and we are blameless. But beloved, don't forget that there's also that work of ongoing sanctification. You see, we are saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. We are sanctified, set aside, purified by the blood of Christ. We are, as we walk, going through a process of sanctification and holiness in our life. And at the end of our days, we will be totally holy. The flesh will be done away with. Well, we're right now, because I see you here this morning, we're right now in the middle of that, okay? We're in that ongoing work of our sanctification, and we are called to walk in holiness. We're called to walk in godliness. We're called to be obedient to the word of God in our lives. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That's what Peter explained to us a little bit earlier. And then he goes on here to make a rather interesting statement. He speaks again uh, with the agreement of, of, of end times and coming judgment and the responsibility of the believer. He, he says, in essence, that Paul had that same understanding. And in verse 15, he says, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom that was given to him, has written to us. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them these things, in which are some things hard to understand. That was kind of interesting. Peter, we know from his background, he was a fisherman. I'm not saying he was an ignorant man, but he wasn't among the learned ones. And yet we also learn in Paul's life, as Paul gives a testimony of his life, he says, man, I was trained from an early man. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest scholars, Jewish scholars of his time. He says, among my peers, I was excelling them all. Paul was an intelligent man. Paul was able to debate with the philosophers on Mars Hill. That's how intelligent this guy was. And many times as he writes, his writings are are deep waters. 
and we read through them, and sometimes it's stuff, man, this, I just really don't understand what he's saying. Well, Peter says that there are many that take these words that are sometimes hard to understand, and there are many who are untaught and unstable people, and they twist to their own destruction these words as they do the rest of the Scripture. Well, first of all, we see here, number one, that Peter and Paul, they were in agreement about the issues of the kingdom. Peter says, just like our brother Paul declares these things. Secondly, we see that Peter felt that some of these things were difficult to understand. And again, with the education of Paul and that of Peter, um, as, as one man says, it's great to have an education. It's great to be an educated pastor or minister of the gospel. It's great to be able to understand all the languages, the Greek and the Hebrew and the history of the church. But when you come before a congregation, you need to make sure that you put the cookies on the bottom shelf so that everybody can enjoy them. If we speak totally over here, um, only a few might be able to receive it. We look at this and we see that even today, men and women, they're quoting, they're declaring scripture to, to make their points, and yet they're pulling it out of the context in which it's written. They, they try to give it a meaning that's, that's absolutely foreign to the intention of the writer. And so they're going to lead a lot of naive. They're going to lead a lot of immature. They're going to lead a lot of unlearned believers into these false teachings. And it's going to be a shipwreck for their personal lives and their spiritual lives. Peter says, watch out for these guys. Thirdly, along with this, Peter equates the writings of Paul with Scripture. He says they twist his words just like they do the rest of Scripture. Undoubtedly, by this time, many of Paul's writings had, had been copied and, and sent out among the various churches. And because of his apostolic uh, uh, relationship, as well as being able to read it and understand, man, this is the Holy Spirit of God that's writing these things. These things were received as Scripture. Peter finishes up his letter of warning, his letter of encouragement to the church now, with these words down in verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. He says, you, you, you know these things beforehand. Well, it wasn't simply that they knew that Paul's letters were going to be twisted. It wasn't even simply because they, they understood that, that scoffers and that false prophets were going to be within the fellowships and actually currently were in the fellowships. I believe that it was combined. It was all of these things. It was all of these warnings because Peter had written to them earlier because they had experienced in their own life these false teachers, this destructive heresies that would come into the church. And so he says, you know what? Since you know all of these things beforehand, beware, beware, be on guard. Peter speaks to them. He calls them beloved. He does this four different times within this one chapter. In verse one, he says, beloved, I now write to you the second time. Over in verse eight, he says to them, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. Over in verse 14, he speaks, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him. And now in verse 17, you, therefore, beloved, 
since you know these things, beware. I believe that Peter is writing to this church with the heart of a pastor, a heart that cares about the life and the well-being of the flock. He cares where the sheep are. He cares what, about what they're going through. He cares about the battles that they're fighting, and he cares about the fact that there are many that are coming in to try and destroy the sheep, to destroy the flock. Peter writes with that kind of a heart, the kind of a heart of a pastor who loves God first, but knows that he has that responsibility and he loves the responsibility of shepherding the flock that God has given him oversight for. I hope and pray that that my life and my responsibility and my actions and reaction to this flock show that. And I know that many times that they don't. And I just pray for your forgiveness in those times. But I do care about your spiritual well-being. I care about how you are growing in Christ. I care about the battles that you go through. Peter says to the church, he says, beware lest you fall from your steadfastness. Fall from your steadfastness. It's that idea of don't be easily moved from your station. Don't, don't believe the eyes of the enemy. Don't be knocked off guard. But instead, he says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growing both in grace and knowledge. I believe both of those are needful for us if we're going to stay on course. I've got to grow in grace. I've got to grow in knowledge in order that I might be firmly standing every time that the enemy comes, every time that the world presses in, every time that my own flesh is screaming out. No, I want to be standing because I'm established and growing in grace and knowledge. To grow in grace what does that mean? I believe that it means to grow in fellowship with Jesus, just to grow in fellowship with him. It begins when you first come to that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And even in your sin, if you fall before him, you'll experience the power of his forgiveness. He'll give to you the abundance of his grace that unmerited favor of God that's being poured out into your life. And that begins with new life. And that begins that fellowship of grace. And it's in this grace that we're called to continue to grow in. And as a believer, we're continually invited to be able to experience and to be able to enjoy that sweetness of his presence in our life by continually seeking his leading, by continually bowing our own hearts to his lordship over our lives. And you know what? I've looked around the room as I've been preaching this morning. I've been checking to see who is here. And as I've looked, I realize none of you deserve his grace. None of us deserve his grace. And yet it's because of the greatness of his love. It's because of the greatness of his love for us that he's lavished us. He's poured out upon us his grace. And as you seek his face, as you continue to walk in humility, as you continue to walk in confession and repentance, you know what? You'll grow in fellowship with Jesus as you experience his abundant grace towards you. But he also says to grow in knowledge. To grow in knowledge, I believe, is to grow in knowledge and understanding of 
Christ himself, as well as grow in knowledge and understanding of God and of his kingdom. This is both an experiential knowledge, because I've been a believer for a number of years. I've experienced uh, and I'm grown to understand God's work and move in my life. But beloved, it's also important to have biblical knowledge and to grow in the knowledge of his word. Because you see, without a knowledge of the scriptures, you can be so easily led astray. You can be taken down another path as someone comes and quotes a scripture here, quotes a scripture there, but doesn't bring it into the context of its meaning. And because you don't know the context of it, so easily to be led astray. So many teachers spouting doctrines formed even out of their own personal experiences, not out of the truth of God's word. And the word says that these teachings are contrary to sound doctrine. The warning of the church comes to us over and over and over again throughout the scripture. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 these words. He said that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and they'll be turned aside to fables. Why? Because they're not founded in the word of God. They're not growing in the knowledge of God and of his word. Well, Peter now closes his book with a very short doxology. I don't know if maybe he thought, well, it's time to finish this thing up. Let me close it here. It's a short one, okay? Throughout the word, there's longer ones. But even in its shortness, there's power here. Listen to what he says. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Glory both now and forever. Amen. The glory of God. John Piper writes about the glory of God these words. He says, the glory of God is the beauty and excellence of his manifold perfections. It's an attempt to put into words what God is like in his magnificence and purity. It refers to his infinite and overflowing fullness of all that is good. The term may focus on his different attributes from time to time, like his power and wisdom and mercy and justice. Because each one is indeed awesome. Each one is indeed beautiful in its magnitude and quality. But in general, God's glory is the perfect harmony of all of his attributes into one infinitely beautiful and personal being, God himself, the very glory of God. We grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. When we do that, then we bring glory to him. Not in a way that he adds glory. We don't, we don't come and we add glory to him. No, his glory is. We can't improve it. We can't diminish it. We simply declare it. We declare it and and bring him glory, not only in the words that we speak, not only in the songs that we sing, but more importantly, in the lives that we live on a continual basis. That's how we bring glory. It's one thing, oh, glory to God, and then move on and act out in every way that the world has for you. But how much greater that glory to God is, is when we walk in faithfulness and consistency and in obedience to what his word declares. Have you experienced his grace in your life? Are you growing in that grace and in the knowledge of him? He continues to reach out 
to you. But the question is, is are you going to be found in him? The life we're called to live as followers of Christ is not a simple one, and the Apostle Peter makes it clear through his second letter that it's a path that's easy to miss. So how do we stay connected to our Savior and walk out the steps He has planned? One way is to immerse ourselves in a community of faith. When we spend time with other believers, we can remind each other of the truth of God's great power, just like Peter reminded the early church. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If not, Pastor David has a personal invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. Is there some way we could be praying for you as you journey along your path with Jesus? Let us know by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We love to be able to speak with our listeners, lift them up in prayer, and answer the questions they have. We're so glad you tuned in to Pastor David's study in 2 Peter today. Join us next time to continue the series right here on The Open Word.